What's going on, everybody? I'm Jeff St. Pierre, and this is episode 99 of the Adult Education Podcast. This week, I'm speaking with businesswoman, singer, author, and leader, Carla Harris. Thanks for checking out the show today. I do appreciate you taking some time out of your day to listen to adult education. This is a fun project that I do out of the love of conversation and of learning. If you want to support me or the show, the best way to do that is to leave a five-star rating on whatever platform you're listening on. Also, if you like what you hear in today's episode, please share it with your friends, whether that's by telling people to listen or sharing it via social media. Let the word spread about adult education. Now, I called an audible this week. I was planning to give you a different conversation, but I had to change things up. I was so moved and inspired by my conversation with Carla Harris that I knew that it had to be shared with you first. Carla Harris is a vice chairman, wealth management, managing director, and senior client advisor at Morgan Stanley. And honestly, I don't really have time to read you all the rest of her incredible accolades involved with her work and business, but she's also a successful leader, a speaker, and an author. She just published her latest book titled Lead to Win, How to Be a Powerful, Impactful, Influential Leader in Any Environment. Now, in this book, she examines how people go from a run-of-the-mill employee to being a leader. She talks about how times have changed and the way we used to promote people into leadership positions needs to change with that. Employees are looking for strong leaders. They're looking for inspiration, and in the places where they're not finding it, they're leaving. They're going somewhere else. We discussed the term producer culture and how a person needs to be more than just a solid producer at a company in order to get the promotion to a management or leadership position. Something else Carla brought up is the importance of learning to pivot as things change. Digging your heels in and sticking with something just because it's the way it's always been uh, no longer flies with today's employees. Leadership is something that I've always been fascinated by. I'll be honest, I haven't worked with a lot of leaders. I don't think people value leadership the way they should. I love Carla's book. I really enjoyed this conversation and i hope you do as well hi there hey jeff how are you i am great how are you doing today very good very good uh you recently spoke at a uh, company where some of my friends work and i posted a picture of the book and i was like hey i'll be speaking with carla harris soon and they all were like oh my gosh she just spoke at my company she's amazing oh which company so all right i knew you're gonna ask this question so it's either constellation energy or exelon energy i'm not sure how they split it up that's exactly right and and i know it, it was they're in the process now, I think, of, you know, sort of figuring out the, the right logo. And yeah. but it was yeah. it was Constellation who hired me. That's exactly right. Yes. Well, they said you did a good job. So now I've been nervous about how great you are and if I'm going to be able to live the expectations here for this conversation. Oh, <laughs> I have I have no doubt, but I had great fun with them. And it was it was great because we did a little bit of. Um, stand and deliver where, you know, I spoke and a little bit of a fireside chat. So it was fun. Well, Carla, we're going to be talking a little bit about leadership here today. And we're talking about your book, Lead to Win, How to Be a Powerful, Impactful, Influential Leader in Any Environment. Uh, you've written some books before titled Expect to Win and Strategize to Win. So why did you want to write Lead to Win right now? Yes, because I will tell you that in, in 2018, Jeff, I, I had the aha moment that we were in a very different leadership context than the one that I had built my career in. You know, if you're building your career in the late 80s, 90s, early 2000s, we were in a my way or the highway type leadership context. And the joke that I like to tell is that, you know, if your boss said jump, your answer was how high. But now if you say jump to a millennial, they're going to say why. Right. And frankly, millennials and Zers are the dominant population in the workforce. And they demand very different things than those of us who were boomers and older Xers. They demand transparency, inclusivity, and feedback. Mm. And if you're a boomer and older Xer, you didn't have a lot of feedback along the way. You were told, keep your head down, work hard. If you don't get fired, you know you're doing okay. And that kind of construct is going to be inconsistent with leading 
this constituency. But yet, most people who are sitting in the leadership seat today are boomers and older Xers. And most people lead the way they were led. Mm. And again, that context is not going to work. So as I was getting calls from people over the course of the pandemic, as we went into the shelter in place protocol, how do I lead in this moment? How do I motivate and inspire my people to deliver on the quarter? Because, you know, we're not in the same place. I don't, I can't lead them the way that I led them before. How do I help people divide the personal and the professional talking about things that we don't generally talk about in the work environment? I said, oh, mm, I, I think I got a couple things on my I might need to say that could be helpful to leaders today or people who are ascending to the leadership seat. And the last thing I'll say is I work with a lot of early stage entrepreneurs having built the Multicultural Innovation Lab at Morgan Stanley. And my big aha over these last five years is while these early stage entrepreneurs are great at creating this idea and even putting it on the map to build a company, that doesn't necessarily mean that they have the skills to know how to hire the right team. They may not even have the network that allows them to have a kitchen cabinet of people who could interview for them and give them some insight on the right people. So what do you do? So I wrote, and having interviewed thousands of people over the course of my career, I wrote for them a chapter of, okay, if you don't have a kitchen cabinet, you don't have an experience at hiring and building a team, here are the 15 questions you might want to ask mm -hmm. that will give you the insight as to whether or not this is the right person to bring onto your team. I want to talk about skills in a second, but I also want to go back to something you just said, and that was that word, why. And I uh, was born in the very early 80s, so I kind of fall in this middle ground between X and millennial, and I always find myself being torn between identifying with different things. And what I've discovered about myself over the last couple of years is that I am one of those people that asks why. And I'm never someone trying to be a contrarian. Sometimes I ask it because I'm genuinely trying to understand why we're doing what we're doing. So that way I can know moving forward, okay, well, this makes sense. This is why it makes sense. But sometimes I also ask that to be the person in the room that will say, I'm going to ask why. So that way you have to think about it for just a second to make sure it is the right decision to make. But that doesn't always go over well with some of my bosses. <laughs> yeah, but I, I have to tell you, Jeff, and, and that is why I and, I'm, and I am on record as saying I love, love, love millennials because I felt for, I have felt for a long time that they were going to turbo boost that which we as boomers and older exes have been trying to do for 20 years. You all were going to turbo boost it because you just have no no patience for the thing that doesn't make any sense. Mm. Right. And let me tell you, boomers and older Xers wanted to ask why. You know, I can't tell you how many times I've gotten an assignment, especially early in my career. And I'm like, why are we doing that? Or the client didn't even ask for that in the last meeting or they're not even going to look at that. So we should. But, oh, dare not say anything because sure. that wasn't the context. That wasn't the culture. You know, that wasn't the proper way to behave. But you guys are unlocking that because there are lots of assignments, lots of leaders that ought to be questioned to rethink what they're saying because so many of them on autopilot. This is how it was done. You know, it, it ain't broke, don't fix it. So let's keep going. When in fact, the process, the the product, the presentation, everything should have been requested a long time ago. But now this has been part of the beauty of the pandemic. We all have a blank sheet of paper mentality. You know, woe is, is onto any leader that is not approaching his or her seat with a blank sheet of paper mentality, asking the question, how do we do it differently? Mm. If I were responsible for delivering that which I'm responsible for delivering, but I was starting all over today, what partnerships would I have? What collaborations would I leverage? 
Who would I let lead this? Would I have to run it all? How might I try to give people responsibility that maybe I didn't do two years ago? You should, everybody should be thinking about the new way to do it. But you guys do that naturally as millennials to question that, which I think is a very good thing. I think it's interesting too, because I hadn't really thought about it from that perspective, you know, that we do this sort of naturally to wonder like, how can we change things? How Maybe because we've grown up in a world that has changed so rapidly. I mean, I, I grew up primarily in the 90s, my college years. I graduated in 2003. So most of my, you know, youth and growing up came before all the big tech boom with cell phones and smartphones and all that. But watching that change has been a fascinating thing. And there are people that are still to this day not willing to roll with it. And they still don't, they still don't seem to understand how quickly people adapt to things and how quickly people want something shiny and new. That's right. And that's why as a leader, if you don't create an environment where your team has this mentality of innovating and said, okay, we got this. And yes, this could be our next billion dollar product. But how do we think about the 2.0 of this? How do we think about the 3.0 of this? Because once we introduce this into the marketplace, the competition's coming. And, and it could be a smaller company or an emerging company who is created to think about nothing but disintermediating this new thing, mm-hmm. right? I can mention names that I won't mention of brands that no longer exist that had a handheld, right? Because they were focused on the handheld, not on the content. Mm-hmm. But somebody else decided to focus on the content and look how fast this thing moved. In my lifetime, and I'm not that seasoned, <clears throat> not old Jeff, but seasoned. <laughs> I'm not that seasoned, but you know, to take a music analogy, you know, we've gone from 33s and 45s mm-hmm. to the disc man, no, excuse me, to the eight track, to the cassette, to the disc, to now to the MP3, to now streaming, right? Coconuts, Sam Goody, Tower Records, Virgin <laughs> Megastore. So you remember some of these because yeah. you were probably getting around these parts, but you say record store to a 16 year old, they don't know what you're talking about. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't so long that the large retailers, the Best Buys, the Walmarts, the Targets of the world were the only places that you could get CDs. Now you might get 15 titles in any one of those places. So think about that in 20 years. Mm -hmm. My first album was released in 2000. And my big dilemma was, how do I get it in a record store? And I remember one of my partners, God bless him, Joe, Joe Perella, walking me over to see God bless him, Dick Parsons, who they were friends. And Dick Parsons at that time was at the head of Warner Music. And, and I had a question about how do I get my record distributed? And he introduced me to their independent label. And that's how I ended up getting it into, into the stores. But just think about that. That was 20 years ago. Yeah. My fourth album, I put it up on, you know, iTunes, Dis- Disco Kid, you know, CD Baby, Spotify, voila. As, and, and look at the shift mm. of power from the distribution to the artists in our lifetime, in a fraction of our lifetime. So you cannot, as a leader, be so wedded to the way things were and miss the opportunity to create how they should be. There's a trend that I've been seeing in my business, and I've had many different, I I like to say there's a difference between leader and manager, and not everybody really understands that. Um, But I've had a lot of managers in my day, only a couple of leaders. Uh, But there's been a trend that I've been seeing where I don't think we're really developing leaders. And you put a term to this that I had never really seen before, so I appreciate this. Your term you used was producer culture. And I think to explain this to people, it basically means, you know, 
we've kind of become obsessed with moving forward in our jobs. We've become obsessed with the idea of the promotion. Like the promotion is the thing that we're going for, even if maybe we're not really qualified for that promotion. So you get a lot of folks that are being promoted into leadership capabilities or positions, and they don't have the knowledge to be a leader. They're just being promoted because they've produced well. And I've That's seen right. that so many times and I never had a term to put it through. But do you think, is that something that still that still really exists or do you think it's more of a pocket thing now? Oh, no, no, no. I definitely think it still exists. And especially, you know, in, in organizations where uh, the success is driven on an output, mm -hmm. you know, and again, think of services business, think, think of financial services, think of law, think of consulting where rewards or value is around revenue generation. Um, you know, how many revenues do you have by your name? How many clients were you able to bring in? So certainly in services businesses and even in other businesses as well, right? If you are in pharmaceutical sales and you have a sales number and you blow right through that number, oh, there will be a reward. And when they run out of financial rewards, then the rewards become the title, the money, the, I mean, the title, the power, the, the platform, right? Um, and yet there's not enough of an investment placed on developing you as a leader. It is something that you are rewarded with. And that's why, uh, you know, an industry like financial services has such a bad reputation of having great leaders. You know, people would say, we don't have really great leaders here, or you don't have good people who can manage here, right? But yet the titles were managing director, right? And, and see, in my mind, that means you have responsibilities for somebody's development. You have responsibility for investing in the next, you know, level of leaders. But what I used to hear, you know, people say as they ascend it to those seats, I don't want to manage. Mm. I don't want to manage. Mm. You know, I just want to continue to spend time with clients and, you know, make sure that things are going well. But, you know, I, I don't want to manage. I don't want to get in the way because they equated managing, you know, perhaps with micromanaging or managing with too many people issues. And I remember as a young pup in the business, I would say, you don't want to manage. Well, isn't that what managing? Director means, you know, in my in my ignorance, that's how I was thinking about it. But, you know, for for a long time, there was no emphasis in these kinds of industries on that. One of the, the really big distinctions between, say, a leader and a manager is a leader will see the people they work with, their team, if you will, and they'll be able to identify the people that can really shine or the people they can trust to do the work and they'll utilize that. They'll find a way to lead them, to help them grow and to help them move forward. What I've noticed a lot, and I can just use from my own personal experience of 20 years in the broadcast radio business is that the people that are in those top positions, if they see someone talented that's on their team, they're more afraid that person's going to take their job than they are about utilizing them to create the best product. Yes. Now, that's what I call an insecure leader. Mm -hmm. And I actually wrote about that, Jeff, in my first book, okay. Expect to Win, because insecure leaders are very difficult to work for, right? Because they generally, as you just pointed out, are so deathly afraid of your exposing them or coming for them that they end up trying to spend all their time squashing your brilliance, squashing your capability. And the really great leaders that I have seen continue to ascend to more and more power are those that have had the, the mentality of being a kingmaker mm. or a queenmaker. And that's what I try to appeal to in the book for that person who's reading the book. I say that it used to be on a CEO's report card, it was all about the revenue, the profitability, the market share, how are you increasing shareholder value? And the people part really was not on the report card. But now as shareholders have started to think more about ESG 
and be and, and have that be part of and a driver of total shareholder returns, that S has become the D and the D is around diversity, and which means it leads back to your people. I believe that is now going to be on a CEO's report card. Are you a magnet for great talent? Do great people want to come here? Do they stay? Do they feel like they have an equitable shot of being able to do well? That's You're now going to be held accountable for that as a CEO because there's more and more recognition by shareholders that, you know, people, if you don't have the right people in the right seats, you can't prosecute, mm. right? And what does that look like? And now that's now on the report card. And I think you're going to start to see leaders feeling more accountable towards that and even raising their hands saying, I don't know how to do that. You know, I've been a great producer, but I don't know how to motivate people. I don't know how to inspire people to deliver beyond that which they thought they could do. What is that? I'll share a quick story with you. Uh, I took a, a very entry-level job, a low-level entry-level job with uh, one of my radio stations I've worked with in the past. And it really was just an opportunity to get into a new building with some new people and really a chance to spread my wings. And the guy that hired me, this is one of those statements that I've always appreciated. And if I ever am in that position in the future, I want to use this statement to other people because I do think it's very motivating and powerful. But he said, I just got you into the building where you go from here is on you. And I said, okay, well, that's a very important thing. Like you helped open that door for me, which I appreciate, but now I've got to bust my butt and I've got to figure out where we're going to go. So anyway, to get to the point of the story, about a year later, people had noticed my work and they gave me an opportunity to move forward. A guy has never talked to me since. The second I got that other job, he completely wrote me off and he has never responded to an email, a text, anything since that day. I'm like, well, listen, you told me to do this. Like you, you told me to spread my wings and fly and find something else. And now you're mad at me for it. Like, I don't really understand. And and he may not have been mad at you. So let me give you another perspective. Please. He might not have known. He he might not have recognized his own power Mm. to continue to help you. And, and so don't don't underestimate at the fact at the end of the day, Jeff, we're all people. Sure. And sometimes people don't recognize the the strength of their own currency. I've seen many people who had real power not use that power when they got to the seat mm-hmm. because either they had the imposter syndrome and they still were looking over their shoulders as to how they got to the seat, how they got to the table, or they were so deathly afraid that if they spend it, their currency would run out, not realizing that if they spend it, they would just get some more. That's how you get more power. That's how you get more currency is to spend it and to spend it on other people. So, you know, I'm just going to say, and I'm going to be kind and say this person didn't understand that they could fly even higher if they continue to invest in you, Mm -hmm. especially somebody like you who was interested in flying on his own. It's a good way to look at it. I never thought about that, but that does that does give a different perspective. Um, there's also something that's very interesting going on right now where you see a lot of companies really trying to invest in new employees because they're trying to find a way to bring people in. They're trying to find a way to bring in the best talent. And people are not willing to sit and work for companies that they don't appreciate or they don't respect anymore. They're willing to take off and you know leave their job and take a chance to go somewhere else because they want to find that better opportunity. I love the quote that you found that you put in your book too. It says, poor leadership results in a failure to attract and keep great talent. And so many things along my line. Radio is one of those industries that has been kind of shrinking in a way. It's kind of like what newspapers went through a few years back where everything started to go digital. Radio is feeling a little bit of that. I don't think we're going to totally disappear like a lot of print media has, but there are fewer jobs. And I do think that the the bosses, the CEOs, whatever, are in a place of power that they can 
treat you a little bit more poorly because they know there's very limited positions. So you're probably not going to go anywhere. No, no. You know, it's interesting. Anybody who has that perspective, Jeff, I would say they're going to lose. Yeah. They're going to find themselves without a seat because either the organization won't be there because it won't be as competitive or you'll never be able to get great people. You know, we have never had a more stark example than we have right now where, you know, places like restaurants or salons or, you know, places that we all frequent, you know, even the airline industry mm. having major, very public issues because folks aren't coming to work. Yeah. Right. And so there's nobody on the planet that is not going to be touched or should not learn from this moment around the importance of people. And let's face it, pandemic redefined frontline worker and who was important. Right. Those people who are not paying attention and feeling like they can cheat, treat you any way they want to treat you because it's hard to get a job in this industry. They're going to lose. Mm. They're going to lose. And it's not going to take five years or 10 years for them to lose. It'll be two years because those folks who do realize that the edge is in the quality of the broadcaster, the person that's going to be on the air, the person that can ask the penetrating questions, the person that can keep the audience engaged, they're going to be willing to pay a premium for those folks. And they're, they're going to realize just saying, nice job, Jeff, great to have you. You add so much value. You know, there's, there's not another thousand of dollars or $10,000 that you can put on how that makes you feel. And at the end of the day, you might be willing to sacrifice a little cash for that. That is so true. And it is the simple statements like that. Like I can count on one hand how many times one of my bosses has ever just come in and said, hey, really great job. Or I really appreciate what you did here. And I'm not someone that searches for those comments. Like I don't need to have the, you know, all, all the different comments coming my way to boost my ego. But when someone does recognize your work, it means so much to somebody. Absolutely. And listen, it's not about you need to have all the accolades. It's about your being human. Mm. And as humans, we are wired that way. And we respond to positive stimuli. So as you know, in the book, I talk about the power of the attaboy and the attagirl. Yep. Huge. And I even say to professionals, don't forget about the attaboy or the attagirl to the CEO. You know, who's giving him the attaboy? Mm -hmm. Who's giving her the attagirl, right? So don't think because they're sitting in the C-suite that they don't respond to the same stimuli. You know, and even to my own CEO, this has been a great earnings call or it was a great quarter or they said something really great in the town hall that that I authentically feel was good. I sent a note and say, you know, good job. That was terrific. That's you a know, great point well, to make us as the workers, if you will. You don't really think about that from the, the, the higher level. Like you don't really think about how simple an, an attaboy or an girl could mean to them, too, and how big that could be. That's a very important point to make that I'd never really thought about before. We're human. Yeah. It doesn't matter the title. We're human and we all respond to that. And to me, that's just sort of basic hygiene in being a great leader. I can't think of a day that I don't leave my office or I don't leave a day that I say to my executive assistant, thank you. I make it a point to say thank you because you know what? I had a kick butt day. And the only reason I had a kick butt day is because you were helping me. <laughs> Let me be clear. I can't be me if you are not you. So we are in this together. Kind of along similar lines is the idea of feedback. And I've always been someone that's appreciated feedback because I don't think that I can be the best version of myself without knowing where maybe somebody thinks I'm making some mistakes or where they think I can do better. I appreciate that. Not always easy to hear. You know, I tell people in radio when someone's giving you feedback, they're kind of attacking your personality because what they're saying is what you said on the radio is doesn't sound good. And that's you. That's who you are. You know, so you have to have thick skin in a way. But I have found over the last few years, feedback does not come anymore. And I don't know if it's because 
our bosses are stretched thin and they don't have time to do the feedback, or if they're kind of concerned about what can happen if they do get the feedback. If they're because I I know that I work with people that don't like it, so they push back on things like that. So it's it's interesting because I would say, like you do in the book, feedback is very important. It's a gift, I think, is the word that you used. That's right. It is a gift, as as my father said. People don't have to tell you. They don't have to tell you. And here's the issue. If people don't tell you, then you don't know that it's broken and you can't fix what you don't know is broken. And all of us need to evolve and we all have areas to improve. And as a leader, I always try to open the door and I say to my folks, look, I'm going to give you some feedback, but I want some feedback, too. I'm not perfect. I'm always trying to be the best leader that I can. So if you see any spaces where I can tighten it up, I want to know it and I will not shoot the messenger. I may not agree. I may want to have a debate, but I want to hear it. Because sometimes I may not even get it at that moment, Jeff. But as I'm driving home and I'm thinking about it, now I'm thinking about, well, why did that person say that? Hmm, what could I have done that would have made them think that? Or, you know, am I doing something else that's creating this? Oh, okay, well, maybe it's just them, but let me test and see if it's just them. Let me go out to some other data points and ask them that question, right? Let me pressure test whether or not I'm, I am, you know, coming off that way to other people because I have in my own mind the vision that I want to be as a leader. And if I'm falling short of that or that's not growing, I want to know. Mm. Yeah. People always say they want honesty too, but when you actually give them honesty, they don't always love it. <laughs> kind of well, that's back true. Right. Yeah, we may not like it. That is true. Yeah. We may not like it, but you can't shut people down from yeah. giving it to you. Because if they, if you have an adverse reaction, they just won't give it to you. You speak with a lot of leaders. You talk to a lot of CEOs. You talk to a lot of different companies. What do you think in this current time right now is the biggest struggle for people trying to be the best leader? Where do you think people are really falling short? If you had to, if you had to pick one kind of thing, one trait. Yeah, I would say it's the authenticity piece. Mm. And here's why. Many of the leaders who are sitting in the seats today grew up to get to those seats in the 80s and the 90s and the early 2000s. And frankly, Jeff, there was a prescription of yeah, how you got to yeah. the top. And if you followed the prescription, you pretty much got to the top. And it did not require you to bring your authentic self into that environment at all. But now we're in an environment where the Band-Aid has been ripped off. Mm -hmm. That's what COVID-19 did. That's what not being in the same place for two years plus did. That's what wit witnessing the social unrest and the calling a thing a thing and coming to reckoning that we saw in this country and frankly around the world, that's what it did. So now the emperor has no clothes. Mm -hmm. You got to come with the authentic you. And that's what I see leaders struggling with because to be your authentic self into any seat, you got to know who you are. Which means you got to take the time to ask the question, who am I today relative to who I was in 2012, relative to 2019? How is this thing impacting me? What am I prepared to say? What am I scared to say? And, you know, you got to bring all of that. And that's where I see leaders really struggling. And do you think some of that, too, is that you've got people just given the fact that it costs so much more to live these days, you've got people that are staying in jobs a lot longer than maybe they were a couple decades ago. So maybe they're getting to a point where they're the mentality wise, they're not really in a place where they want to change, but they're not really ready to let go either because they kind of need to keep that job to, to make sure they're set for retirement, too. You know, that's that's a fair point. And here's the other piece that they're holding on to the way things were yeah. because this is what they know. And so that's the other piece that is, I think, is probably equal with the authenticity. There was this too much of this revert back to the way things were. That was the safe strategy instead of daring to take the blank sheet of paper approach and say, OK, let's start all over again. 
how would we construct our culture today based on what we know? You know, what would be the jobs that we would have that you had to show up and what would be the jobs that you could do remote and why should those things be equal or maybe they should not be equal? You know, if I'm going to bring people into the office, how would I use the time differently since I no longer have to perform oversight? Mm. I didn't watch you do what you did for the last two and a half years. I didn't tell you when to do it, 2 o'clock versus 2 a.m. versus 2 p.m. I didn't tell you that. And, oh, we had a record year. So now I don't have to overlook you, right? What can I do differently? How can I leverage your intellect and your creativity maybe to problem solve? How should I think about putting the big, hairy issues that the company has in front of them in front of everybody to see what creativity might be, you know, might come to the fore? How should I think about that different? It was too safe and easy to go back and say, but this is how we've always done it. And let's get back to normal instead of saying that normal doesn't exist. Yeah. Let's work together to draw a new one that maybe we'll use for two years, five years, but not 20. I love it. I love it, Carla. I, I'm so glad that we had a chance to talk. This book, uh, Lead to Win, How to Be a Powerful, Impactful, Influential Leader in Any Environment. There, There's just so much... Uh, so many amazing nuggets in here that I love it. And I hope to one day be in a position that I can really utilize this because it is just so inspiring to read your work. So I do appreciate your time. Is there a place that people can go if they want to find out more about you or follow along with your journey? Absolutely. I have a YouTube channel, uh, Carla Ann Harris, and I also have a website, Carla's Pearls. No apostrophe, carlaspearls.com. I love it. Carla Harris, thank you so much for your time today. Thank you so much, Jeff. And I, I will tell you, you are leading, honey. You're leading thought and conversation in what you do every day. So go get them, brother. Well, thank you. That made me feel good. I appreciate you. Big thank you to Carla Harris for her time. I know she's a crazy busy woman, so it means a lot that she would share some of her day with me. Her book, Lead to Win, How to Be a Powerful, Impactful, Influential Leader in Any Environment is available now. And thank you to all of you for checking out Adult Education this week. I appreciate you.